0: Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Josh Griffin. Thank you, Annette. Well, for this week's Dose of Inspiration, I'm talking to not one Inspirational Australian, but two, joined by Gillian and Peter Critchley. And I'm very excited to speak with them. Um, Gillian was a finalist in 2019 uh, as part of the New South Wales and ACT Community Achievement Awards. Gillian was a finalist in the Transgrid Leadership Award. And uh, Gillian and Peter have both been involved in volunteering and community service for over 35 years. And they've had a real dedication in working with children suffering from Charco Murray Tooth Disease over the last 10 years, especially. To find out a bit more about Charco Murray Tooth, what that's about, and uh, to hear about the volunteering and leadership efforts of Gillian and Peter, I'm going to throw it to you guys straight away uh, this morning. Welcome. How are you doing? Well, thank you. Good morning, Josh. So you're joining us from uh, South Sydney into week um, 322 of lockdown, is it, (laughs) over
1: there? Yeah, we stopped counting at about 10, I think. So yeah, that's okay. We'll we'll get out eventually.
0: So, yeah, my first question straight off the bat is, uh, you know, you referenced it as uh, CMT, Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease. Can you tell us what that is? Because I had not heard of it um, before reading a bit about your story.
2: Sure, Josh. So um, even though it says tooth in the, um, in the name, it's got nothing to do with dentistry. It's actually what's called a peripheral neuropathy. So um, in short, um, it's a gene malfunction um, on our DNA that causes our nerves um, to deteriorate over time. um, And the changes in the nerves and the nerve functioning then affects um, muscular performance. Um, That results in weakness um, and deformities and impacts on the daily uh, living of um, people with CMT. Um, That's generally expressed in um, inability to do some sports, some people, the very worst affected are in wheelchairs. Sensations are either absent um, or delayed. So the reactions of CNT people are about one and a half times slower than the nerve reactions of uh, people, uh, able Body people. Um, that means, you know, you can you know, touch something that's um, burning hot and take um, a longer time to react to the fact that that is actually burning mm-hmm. um, and that results in, in injury. Um, but more uh, commonly it's um, that disability that inability to play sport deformities um and those in 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 society result particularly for kids in in bullying um, and social ostracization
0: yeah so with um the nerves and you you know you talking about sports is it affects feet and hands the most is that that's, right. Yeah,
2: that's that's the peripheral part of the neuropathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's
0: mainly um, our hands, our
2: feet, and, uh, and our legs that are impacted. So I've never been able to play uh, any sport whatsoever. Um, I can't run more than about a couple of meters. And when I do, my legs splay out and generally result in tripping.
0: Oh, no, not good.
2: Um, yeah. So, or as, or as my daughter likes to put it, I'm constantly testing gravity.
0: That is a, a much more eloquent way of saying it, isn't it? Um, so, Peter, you suffer from CMT yourself. Is, did mm-hmm. that you know, manifest as a child for you or yes. later in life?
2: No, it manifested from childhood. I, um, so CMT uh, mostly is an inherited um, disease. There are several hundred different types um, of CMT for the purists. Um, I have a uh, inherited type called 1A, I inherited that off my mother. Um, I've always known about it. Some people um, get diagnosed later in life because it's inherited. Naturally, you, you've always got it. I've always been aware of it and have been involved with with research um, into the disease since um, since about all I can remember.
0: Yeah. And so seeing as I, I'd never heard of it, well, from what you're saying, there's a lot of different types of CMTs. Is it something that's misdiagnosed or, or not known about? A lot, constantly.
2: yeah, constantly. So, look, growing up, I was considered. You know, I thought we were the only family with it. Mm. Um, I have it. My brother has it. My sister missed out or didn't get it. And I've got cousins with it. My aunt, several of my aunties, and but none of my uncles had it. So we were, we always thought we were the only ones with the disease. It was so rare. Um, but you know, growing up, and as people get diagnosed, then it. Um, uh, we get to know more people with it. Uh, often it's mistaken for anything from, um, you know, epilepsy or multiple sclerosis or MD. There's a whole pile of stuff that it's misdiagnosed as.
0: Mm,
1: well, It is, though, the most common, this is our little statistic for the day, the most common peripheral neuropathy. You know, across the world, there's one in 2,500 or one in 3,000 people with CMT. Now, whether it's been diagnosed correctly or not, but they're the stats at the moment. So even though it's considered rare, it is the most common peripheral neuropathy.
0: So Gillian, obviously, you know, you uh, met Peter and have come to the relationship uh, without CMT and you learnt about it. Was your understanding, you know, with Peter having known so much about it, did you always kind of know about it or was it something that kind of developed as you, you know, you knew each other uh, longer?
1: Okay, so we we went out together. We we knew each other for six months beforehand. We were involved in a in a scouting and guiding show on the stage, the gang show, and so we had been we've been friends for six months. And after those six months, um, he asked me out on a date. And on that first date, he told me about his disability. And I actually said to him, "What disability?" Yeah. And he explained it to me and was very open and even to the point. I think even on that night, even though it was thirty years ago. He said it is it is um, genetically inherited and that there was the potential for him to be able to pass that gene down to any of the children that he had. So I was always very aware of it. I, as I'm sure we'll dis- discuss later, I'm an early childhood teacher, so I've worked with a lot of children with disabilities, um, have an understanding of, you know, inclusion with, with children, so I suppose it didn't really intimidate me much. And if anything, it just tweaked my curiosity um, Peter's mum had been involved, as, as Peter's described, with his brother as well in a lot of research. So there was plenty of information for me um, when I did first start looking and going, okay, what is this CMT? Obviously when we were first going out it wasn't so important, but as things got a bit more serious and we sort of realised that we were going to end up uh, together, that it 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 was good to have those honest conversations about yeah. that. You know, even just talking to geneticists later on down the line, once we were married, and understanding the implications of passing the gene on, and uh, yeah, that that was good for us to do. And but I've always got honesty from Peter, and I suppose therefore being wanted to always be involved in advocacy and awareness for people with CMT. Yeah,
0: I guess uh, tell me if this is too you know awkward or hard of a question, but um when you were having those. Uh, talks about, you know, genetics and and having your own children, were were you ever in, you know, the opposite camp of, oh, maybe we shouldn't
1: have children? I would would be the one that would answer that. We we actually did a a program millions of years ago on Catalyst about just this and also on Insight. And the question is asked, if you knew you had any genetically inherited condition, would you be happy to pass it on? Happy is not the word we're looking for, Mm. but... And awareness of it is important, but I have always stated and I believe Peter would be the same. We chose not to test once we had once we were pregnant. We could have tested and it would have come back with a result, but it would have been around 20 weeks gestational, by which stage we wouldn't have um, terminated the condition the, the pregnancy. So I suppose what I'm saying is we knew what we were in for, I suppose. You would never wish it on your child. But I do also feel, and our family, I believe, are stronger and our daughters, our adult daughters who, who have it, are better advocates for themselves and stronger for themselves because they have the disability and it's making them much more aware of the needs of the whole community rather than being quite insular, I suppose, yeah. is the way to do it. So, no, there was never a view that we wouldn't have children, but we wanted to come in with our eyes open. And um, and be aware of the expectations.
0: What was ahead? Well, yeah. My personal view is that uh, every life is beautiful and important, and should be celebrated. And you know, it sounds like you were very well educated, considered, had thought through all the consequences or anything like that. And that's just a really responsible thing to do. Um, We
1: we came out of the genetic. Sorry to interrupt. We came out of the geneticist's appointment. Before we were having children, but once we were married, we came out of the appointment and basically the geneticist at Sydney Children's Hospital said, you know more than we will ever know about CMT as a geneticist. Um, You are in the best position to make the decision about whether you choose to have children or not. So I felt like that was our tick of approval that we were going to do it and you know, I always joke now because we spend so much time volunteering for the CMT Australia Association. I do wonder what I would do if I wasn't doing that. So mm. <laughs> it's, made, yeah. it's certainly made my life more meaningful and I feel like I can make a difference to people with CMT even without having it.
0: Well, speaking of making a difference for people with uh, with CMT, so Gillian uh, and Peter, I'd like to hear more about um, CMT Aussie Kids Programme. Can you tell us how it started and what it is?
2: So, um, as Jill mentioned, um, CMT Australia is an organisation that was established to support uh, people with CMT. And, you know, a lot of the time it was focused on raising awareness, raising research funds, etc. Um, back in 2011, Jill and I uh, identified an opportunity for doing better with kids with CMT. Um, you know, it's it's very isolating at times, and particularly if for kids in um, re- regional and remote areas, uh, it can be very isolating for kids um, who have a disability like CMT and don't know anybody else with it um, and how they do that. You know, we were reading an article from uh, the CMT organisation in the United Kingdom um, and there was a lovely lady who had been running camps um, over there. Um, her name was Karen, or is Karen. And Karen, uh, we reached out to Karen and had a discussion uh, with her to think about, you know, and start planning what we could do for kids and, and what what is involved in running an annual camp for kids so that they can meet their peers um, and so that they can experience the challenges of life in terms of activities in a safe way and when I mean safe it's with their peers you know if you think about um, a disabled person going on a scout camp sorry uh, or a school camp um, and being asked to you know do some adventurous activities and they can't more isolating if they're doing it with their peers who also have CMT and they can see one that they that they've got support and that they can support others with um, in, in the same condition, then that's enormously liberating. So that's sort of the philosophy behind why we established CMT Aussie Kids um, and why we run these annual camps.
0: Yeah, something I hadn't really considered before because it's um, a disability from the sounds of it, you know, I'm just learning about it now, but uh, that is perhaps not prohibitive for someone going on a camp, but as you said, all, all, most of the activities they probably can't participate in and that would be really isolating and as you said at the start. That leads to bullying and yeah, isolation. And exactly, it's a
2: it, it's a funny position because we're not sort of you know if you walked past me in the street and unless you observed me very closely, you may not think that I have a disability at all. Then you put me in a you know a, a competitive situation, or if I need to climb something, then it comes becomes really obvious that I have a disability. Um, and the same. Um, for kids, you know, they, if they're suffering fatigue and they're suffering pain, and they, and they can't climb, they're too weak to climb or to you know hit a bat or to kick a ball and run um, a full game of soccer, then that's very isolating for them. You know, kids start to bullying them. Um, you know, it sort of piles up and up. So if we we can provide that. Um, you know, even once a year camp for these kids to give them that little bit of you know self respect um, and that. Understanding that they're not alone in this this journey that they're, that they're on. Um, some people don't yet like to use the word journey, but um, you know they're they're not alone in life. And and we've set up social media um, that's um, that they can keep in contact with them with them with each other between the camps. And that's the and that's the whole the whole philosophy, of what we do and why we do it. And it's been very good for the kids and we, in um, 2016, we took, um, so we had five kids from the UK visit us plus a couple of their adult helpers.
0: Did they come and join and your
2: camp? They, they joined our camp and we did spent two weeks together on touring around Sydney um, and then two years later we took 11 kids over to um the UK camp um, in Cumbria. As part of that, we spent um, about two weeks, two to three weeks, travelling from London up through Edinburgh. So that's awesome, um, and that was great. The, the you know more than just um, you know the kids that uh, who went on the camp. It galvanised the whole community, the whole CMT community. We had um, you know people in uh, CMT, people in Deniloquent who raised thousands and thousands of dollars to help us get away.
0: I normally save this for the end but this is such a beautiful story and you know I can just imagine how uh uplifting this would have been for the people involved. If people did want to support these camps and help you know fundraise so more people can can get access, how can they do that?
1: So the easiest way to do it is to just get onto our CMT Australia website which is www.cmt.org.au. And there will be a donate button there. And there's, we, because we're trying to sort of constantly do different fundraisers for different things, there is a fundraiser. We go through the Kids Now platform that is there for the CMT kids. Alternatively, just email us at cmtaussiekids at gmail.com. So that's Aussie as in A U S S I E. So cmtaussiekids at gmail.com. That's us. But yeah, that's probably the best way forward to be able to donate to um to support some kids because we have kids from across Australia and New Zealand attending um camp as well
0: Cool, so many questions from this, this is yeah, it's really exciting stuff so what ages are the kids normally that would go on the, the camps
1: yep so we started off when we were foolish and young we thought we were going to offer it to every um every school-aged child from five to 18 and then the early childhood teacher in me kicked in and went no um we sort of generally offer it or anything from eight, nine, 10-year-olds, just depending on their maturity. Um, and we had at one point had an end, end number of 18. But now what we have is a group of kids who've been potentially going to camp for 10 years, because this is our 10th year, who are now, like our elder daughter, 23. Well, just because she suddenly turned 18 doesn't mean that you no longer require support mm. or, you know, peers, uh Contact. So we've created a mentor program within the the larger CMT Aussie Kids program that sort of gives these kids a little bit of leadership. Um, experience, trying to give back a little bit to the Aussie Kids Program, I suppose, to future-proof it as well so that we could see that there could be a number of kids that are involved in the mentor or the mini-mentor program where they can start to, you know, to take over some of the roles that Peter and I are doing as the older adults within the group. So, you know, that's that's sort of part of the, the plan of the age. But it really, and, and this actually then refers onto something else which I would like to touch on. A lot of the success of the CMT Aussie Kids Program, people say to us, oh, wow, you're so inspirational, you're Peter and Gillian, you're doing such a great job. A lot of it is thanks to the families and the parents who have trusted their kids with us. Mm. We wouldn't have a camp without parents who went, yeah, okay. I mean, we I do have a story of a child who's now a young woman who's one of our mentors. Um, she lives in in country New South Wales and she has CMT. When she first contacted us, she was about thirteen or fourteen. She said, "Hey, I've heard about the camp. I'd really like to go, but mum and dad aren't really keen because I won't know anybody." Yeah. We were like, "Well, duh. Yep. <laughs> Nobody knows anybody." Was you know? Like, I mean, you've got to sort of be a bit like that. She said, "Look, I'll, I'll talk to my dad because he'll be the one I've got to get over." You know? Okay, that's fine. No, 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 was the answer. And eventually, she convinced dad. And she said, "Oh, look, if I get dad to call you, can can you?" Can you talk to him? I said, of course. And that's a lot of my role within the group is to talk to parents because I might sound quite, quite controversial here, but some, not all, but some parents of kids with a disability tend to cotton ball them. They wrap them up in cotton wool. They, they can't get hurt. They can't do anything. They've got this disability. So we're just going to lead a life of nothing because we're worried about being injured or we're worried about not being able to achieve yep. and get that done. That flies in the face of CMT Aussie Kids philosophy. So I do talk to our families about that. So anyway, this story, I spoke to this dad. I had a long conversation with dad. He asked all sorts of questions. I answered them honestly and he got off the phone and the young girl rang me straight away back again, and she said, "What did you say?" I said, "Why?" She said, "Dad's crying," and I thought, "Oh no, I've, I've really done you. the wrong thing now. <laughs> what have I, what have I said that's really upset him?" But she said, "It's a good crying because I'm coming to camp. Dad's let me go. So I suppose a lot of our advocacy for our kids." is helping our families understand, and I suppose we've got a little bit of cred because we do have two daughters with it and that cred increases as the years go by, I suppose, but it's just helping our families understand how they can best support their child to to accept their CMT, to be able to find strategies to deal with their CMT and to have a full and meaningful life with their CMT. And that's really, that's one of our main, that's what I feel really strongly about within the group
0: that's a beautiful story Gillian thank you for sharing and uh speaking of cred I mean there's some serious cred (laughs) between you two Peter obviously you've got lived experience Gillian your background in uh, early childhood education and I know the two of you have uh you said at the top scouting experience so you know got camping and uh, working with kids uh, and leadership all rolled into this uh know camp initiative that you guys are doing, it's uh it just makes so much sense and it's um it sounds like a yeah a really beautiful thing.
2: There is no cure for CMT. So we've got to make sure that uh, from from day one that the kids are prepared um for life and we um and we get our, a lot of our inspiration from the kids. And they they're a great bunch of kids and, and despite the fact that they face these difficulty they just on on camp they support each other and um, in between camps they support each other and um, you know that's just you know so inspirational for for us as much as you know us um, providing them with with an opportunity so it's it's an enormously satisfying thing to do And, and and for us you know like you you alluded to it's bringing together you know, our life experience, um, whether it's, you know, Jill's early education experience, um, our combined scouting experience and my experience with, with the disability. So um, we hope that we, we're we making a difference to the kids and, and that's where we get our satisfaction from.
0: One question I, uh, I like to ask towards the very end, and again, this is a podcast of uh, bringing the end stuff forward, but sometimes I ask, uh, you know, who, who inspires you? And I think you've uh, just just told us there you're inspired by the kids that you're actually uh, you're there to support and and help.
2: Yeah, they're, look, they're they're a beautiful bunch of kids, and, and we're constantly on the lookout for you know uh, other kids um, to to join the camp so that hopefully we can give them the same experience. So in terms of inspiration, that's really that's really what it is. It's it's we do it for the kids, and and we get a lot back from the kids um, when we do it our our good friend friend in uh, in the uk is an inspirational woman as well Um, she has cmt and we just had the most amazing friendship with her and and through that the the cmt kids in the uk and the cmt aussie kids have the most amazing cross-world experience um, and, and support you know and when you think about it in a strange way at opposite ends, they can ring each other or contact each other any 24 hours, seven days a week um, to get that support um, that they may need.
1: One of the things that we have looked into in the most recent past was the camp was certainly serving an essential need. But covid Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that's always going to come up in every conversation. Yep. Has has obviously we were very fortunate to fit last year's camp in two weeks before Sydney went into lockdown the first time. We oh, just so we just we just fluked that.
0: Was that February or March or something? Was that's that right, month?
1: March 2020. Yep. Whereas this year yeah, we, it wasn't a happening thing. It was just too difficult to be able to arrange it with people coming in from, you know, different states and, and all across Australia. So that really started us to interact with the kids about, okay, well, we can't do camp. What else can we do? So some of the things that we have done and, and are still doing is like a day trip to um, Luna Park. Mm-hmm. So one, we've got four amusement parks across Australia that we were, we had planned to do yeah. two weeks ago. Uh, um, so that didn't happen. But also things like a lot of good old Zoom is our best friend. And as Peter just alluded to, you know, we can talk to our UK friends if we get the, the timing right. I know what time it is in London any time of the day. Um, <laughs> And, and just enabling them to be able to just touch base, obviously using social media because that is their primary source of communication these days. But, you know, we're also we're looking at, apart from the amusement park, we're, we're doing a day surfing at Manly Beach with Craig Whittington, who was an ex-surf lifesaver. But his best friend is this gentleman who made contact with us. And this is the other great thing about the organisation and the, the program developing, we have people now coming to us and going, hey, we'd like to share our skills and our fun yes. with your kids. And so um, this fellow was um, was actually a, a national swimmer in his day and he has CMT. So he's supporting the program that we have at Manly Beach. We've also got another guy who is the skipper of yachts through an association called Making Waves Foundation. So that's basically for people who who have disabilities who can go out and sail on Sydney Harbour. So that's been the other lovely thing that we've been able to collaborate with some of these other community groups to be able to give our kids just a day trip. Now, at the moment, it's only Sydney-based, but we are looking at Melbourne and Brisbane as well, depending on what the activity is, of course. But that whole collaborative community, regional, rural thing is, it always keeps it fresh because we've always got somebody else who's there going, "Hey, we can see what you're doing, and we really want to be a part of it." So that's that's inspiring for us as well. It
0: sounds incredible, but also very time consuming. So, is that your um, paid roles to kind of organise this, or
1: no, no, not at all. So, all members of CMT Australia, all committee members, and I am a committee member, of, and I have been for fifteen years. I um, edit the newsletter. I and the facebook moderator all those types of things peter's obviously involved from a from a listening to his wife's point of view and then we do a it's lot all of, voluntary <laughs> it's all voluntary to be honest as well i don't think i want to get paid for it because that's not what it's about There in the uk um they're the same karen doesn't get paid um just I don't know. It, it would be different if we got paid. I know the US um, CMT Association has a bit more funding, so they're able to financially support their volunteers a little more than what we can. But that's not sour grapes. That's just what it is. I think volunteering is unique to not being to not being paid. I think that's really important. That yeah. And then in, in this case, we just we can just be guided by CMT Australia by the organisation that we are under. Um, certainly, from a funding point of view, we are always actively seeking funding opportunities. Peter's been most recently been able to successfully grab some funding from the Commonwealth Bank. But Excellent. ultimately, you know, ultimately we're just looking for donations, and the kids do, you know, CMT high tea sort of things, and sausage sizzles at Bunnings and things like that, just to to keep the word out there and to to keep the funding. And the funding then is used to support kids coming to camp from different states and also to um, subsidise the costs of camp.
2: Yeah. It's our privilege to work with these kids and that's why we volunteer and any funding that we go, go 100% of it goes straight to the kids to get them on camps. So it's costly to get kids from Perth and uh, from remote and regional areas into, into Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane to um to participate so we're constantly on the lookout make sure that 100% of the funding that we receive um, through donations
0: goes to the kids. Would there be an average cost for a a kid to attend the camp or is it different because of where they're coming from?
1: No let's talk where they're coming from the camp itself this year well next year will now be $300 which is quite cheap. Um, I I think it's very cheap Yeah, I mean, we try to compare and we look at um, MDA, Muscular Dystrophy Association, also runs camps. they are obviously got a totally different disability. They have a much higher adult-to-child ratio. We sort of don't need that, so we don't need to fund that as much. Um, But Yeah, so, you know, you'd be looking at, in most cases, because the kids are under 18, you'd be looking at two airfares, accommodation for the parents or at least the mum or the dad who was coming over. I know that easily for our Perth, and we've got at least four, four, five, six families over there, the ones that come over, they're spending upwards of $2,000 for the weekend. So we run the camp from the Friday night to the Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, and that's why we um, try to support. We don't fully fund. We can't afford to fully fund them, but we try our best to make it equitable for everybody and ensure that we can promote and you know give them money for airfares and, uh, Travel expenses. Travel into, expenses. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah,
0: to to get into camp. And uh, the CMT high tea you mentioned before is that a way that the uh, the kids or the families or schools or whoever it is can help and fundraise?
1: Yeah, so that that was just that actually came from another another kid from regional New South Wales when he was saving when he was raising money. He we took him over to the UK. And he was raising money for it. And he came up with the, with a the little catchphrase, didn't he? He was having a, a CMT high tea. So it hasn't been a common thing. It's not like your biggest morning tea sort of thing. One of the biggest challenges, of course, on any volunteer organisation is to get people to, to get on board to be able to promote and organise these things. So we don't have those types of resources available to us. But we just encourage the, the kids. In a lot of cases, it's just... Getting out there, you know, our youngest daughter stood there in year two and did a little presentation to her primary school. Yeah. It, it's it's all just about awareness. As Peter said, we love doing this. It's not about the money. We, obviously, we want to make ourselves sustainable enough so that we can continue to provide support to our families to attend camp and to attend, you know, amusement park days when covid allows mm. um but you know ultimately it's, it's about being there for the kids and helping them feeling empowered by their cmt and empowering others with their with their abilities i suppose yeah
0: speaking of covid and uh, before we hit the record button today we were talking about you know the roadmap in new south wales and and things like that and even the national roadmap. so uh, is a 2022 camp on the cards yes yes it is
2: um, a camp is planned uh, here in Sydney in March 2022. Um, we'll be staying in, in central Sydney. It's a bit of a cent- uh, celebration for us because it's our 10-year camp and we've got activities like uh, yachting on Sydney Harbour. We've got uh, Manly Beach surfing with um, a fellow who has CMT and we're going to Luna Park. Um, so a really exciting camp planned um, and we hope to get uh, CMT kids from all over Australia to to join us for the camp.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's very special. Ten years. Well done.
2: Yeah, we didn't. Uh, we, and we certainly hoped that we would get uh, at least ten years when we started. But um, it's really a great achievement.
0: So was that really early on? You were thinking we can do this for a long well,
2: time. Yeah. yeah. Well, we did. Yeah. Somebody actually asked us um, how you're going to make this sustainable when when we first started. Now we did a we sat down and we did a whole business case for the SMt Australia association uh, to support us in the in the early days and we always thought that we would be making this a sustainable long-term activity it wasn't just a one-off camp or a couple of years and we'd let it go. Um, it's, it was about making sure that we give as many kids as possible um, an opportunity to experience, CMT Aussie kids and to meet their peers.
1: And speaking of how many, and I was just thinking about that, we would on average have between 25 and 30 kids attend camp every year. But our database, which sounds very clinical and harsh, but I do have an Excel spreadsheet of the families who've contacted us, whether they've just been diagnosed with a two-month-old or whether they've got a 17-year-old who they've finally had diagnosed. And there's over 300 families on that database. So that 300 families across Australia and New Zealand who have a clear, firm diagnosis of CMT, they may not have interacted a lot with us. They may not have even been on camp. I mean, across the line, we've had a total of just under 200 kids attend camp over the last 10 years. And I know when we first started, and Peter mentioned that, When we did the the business case to the organisation, the president at the time, Daryl, obviously we knew we were going to lose money the first couple of years. It's just Mm. what it is. Minimum numbers when you go to visit you know, a a sport and rec camp or something like that, you're always going to lose it. And I do remember speaking with him a couple of years after that and saying how fortunate we were to have him actually stick his neck out and say, yeah, all right, I'm prepared to risk a bit of the organisation's money for this. But he does, and I suppose it demonstrates where we're coming from, that he then commented that he was always going to support it because he knew that there was the likes of Peter and I, and I know I'm breaking my arm, patting myself on my back, I suppose what I'm trying to show is that we are so passionate about supporting these kids, that giving them a leg up, giving them a hand. He knew that it was going to be successful. Yes, it would take a few years to break even, and we certainly did. It took us some time, but now we know that through our funding we have benefited not just financially but benefited socially and emotionally for our kids. And I know and I can say it truthfully that the support that the organisation and that CMT Aussie Kids Programme gives has changed lives Mm. and has actually impacted on a couple of kids who had thoughts about ending their life. Um, and um, we feel honoured to have been able to support those kids at, at a time when they were at their lowest. And, you know, we're not trained counsellors. We're not psychologists. We're normal human beings, one of which has CMT. And I think that that the support that the kids give each other and that we are able to facilitate really can make a difference and has proven to make a difference. And that I feel like my work here is done. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm still doing it. But I just feel so happy that we've been able to, to get ourselves involved in something and to volunteer with that in mind.
0: Yeah, well, that's an interesting point you raise about, you know, mental health. And that must be a really uh, difficult because, you know, it is such a um, sensitive topic. It's a difficult thing to do. How, how are you able to, you know, you, that's amazing that you're able to help people. I guess you must have to have, you know, certain plans in place or things like that to help support people in their mental health on these camps and uh, in
1: general. Uh, yeah, it's it, mental health. Always a difficult thing because it yeah. does always seem to be topic of the month without sounding flippant. It does. I do. I do feel like that when I'm, you know, when we're filling in funding submissions, it's about mental health. But particularly so at the moment with lockdown and with with the changes in our whole life, um, mental health support has been really important. And I and I do, I do say here before I even speak about this that we don't have any training. I mean, I've certainly had a little bit of stuff in terms of mental health in early childhood, but I've not done anything major and neither of us are trained experts. The biggest thing with mental health is is being there, is allowing these kids to talk to each other and to open up those opportunities. I think we've found it, and I, and I, and I don't like to be um, gender specific, but the males in our group, maybe because Australians a lot of oh you're playing the footy and you're sporty and everything it's more obvious for our male for our young gentlemen in the group that they can't do that yeah and that they feel uh frustrated and disappointed and and it can't get to a point where it, it it does end in turmoil and we have been as, as i say and obviously i won't speak specifics but we've been privileged to be able to support a couple of our of our young kids uh, who have had those mental health down moments, supporting it through just being there, giving them a call. You providing, know. providing a community for them. Yeah. 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 A network of support um,
2: with their peers, the people involved, um, you know, they had their other, you know, networks and professional assistance. But for us it was about just providing that contact um, providing um, that understanding from seeing it from a cmt point of view yep
0: yeah. well i think what you're doing is so important because people yeah, at the core a lot of the time is they just want to be seen and valued for who they are and that touched on what you were saying jillian you know a typical male as a kid growing up you know from teenager childhood to teenager years you're right is you know sports who's the the biggest toughest who can kick the ball the furthest who can hit the ball the longest, all those things. And so that's just their sense of value and then being left out of that. And that is really isolating. Uh, Peter, you touched on that before. And so, you know, a quick um, plug of a previous episode of our podcast, we interviewed Tara Lord, who uses animals and animal assisted therapy. But, you know, and she is qualified, but she says the same as you. It's, it's about providing that sense of community, friendship, letting them know that that they are valued.
2: Yep. So they're not alone. That other people are sharing that journey and can provide advice and
0: support. Yes, yeah, so I think you, you should give yourselves more credit about how qualified you are because you've been doing it for ten years. Yeah.
2: Just don't have the, uh, the letters after
0: the name. Yeah. On. Well, um, I also want to ask you before we uh, we do wrap up. Volunteering has obviously been a passion of yours for a long time. We touched on Scouts a few times. I just kind of want to hear about how you you know both got involved with Scouts and and directly is you know has that kind of informed. You know the camps that you're running now.
2: Yeah. Yes. So the I got involved in Scouts when I was you know eight years old. Um, quite accidentally, in a way, my you know, my mother was looking for something that we could do that because we couldn't play sport, and she happened to be speaking to one of the local shop assistants who was a an acayla with um, with the local um, cub group. She wasn't expecting us to stay, and I I talk about us because it was my brother and myself. But uh, we, we stuck it out and we found because there was no competition in it and we had a group of really good leaders um, who, who gave us opportunities, who took us on camps and supported us. So even though we couldn't walk far or carry heavy packs, they, they allowed us um, to walk without packs and that meant somebody else had to carry it or, or whatever. And we had a particularly good scout leader. So much so that my brother and I both became Queen's Scouts um, in, our, um, in our early teens and that then developed into volunteering as, as Scout leaders or Cub Scout leaders uh, for, for much of our, or virtually all of our adult life. And the skills that we learnt there, um, and Jules had a, a similar journey in in girl guiding and, and scouting herself, and the skills that we learnt there, we then transferred across to to run the camp. So, you know, we knew it was second nature for us when we, we take kids away, you know, what are the safety things we need to think about? What do we need to do at, you know, at night? And you know, what what things to look out for if, you know, kids are feeling uncomfortable or scared or, or whatever. It, that became second nature for us. So it was a very powerful way um, of making sure that we could run the camps themselves, um, you know, Quite beyond all of the, you know, the, the fundraising and the, and the other stuff that needs to occur outside. And we also went in. You know, camps don't just happen. We we need We were going in um, eyes wide open about the amount of work that we needed to do to make sure that that was successful.
1: I, I think it's also a point of, and, and my my history is very similar to Peter, so I won't bore you with my guiding and scouting, and and we did meet through scouting, but I think thinking about the camps and how we were able to feel confident, I suppose, to stand up to CMT Australia and say, well, this is what we think is going to work because we've seen it work with scouts and guides. But it's also a lot of my role in an early childhood with my early childhood hat on is speaking to families and making them feel comfortable in my early childhood environment. It's the same thing, that I keep coming back to it now, it's making families feel reassured that when they let their child go on camp, they're not going to do anything awful and we're not going to humiliate them or whatever. So our comfortableness if there's such a word with speaking with families advocating for children because that I feel very strongly about that as an early childhood educator but advocating for that disabled child including the one I was speaking to who dad said no 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 and it was finally when we got to speak to dad that dad turned it around it's helping them understand that this is really important for the kids to be able to attend. And so the camp was a natural progression for our families to accept and to to go with.
0: Speaking of your career in early childhood education, which is still ongoing, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe you also uh, had an award recognised for your professional career too.
1: Yeah, I've surprised myself greatly, but I am um, a, a regional finalist in the Family Daycare Association's um, Early Childhood Educator of the Year. Yeah, that's, that's sort of current on the southern southern sydney and sutherland shire finalist. yeah which is it, it just goes with my i mean that's obviously a paid profession and i run my own business uh, from home i have worked in early education centers so long daycare centers but yeah worked for it most of my working life i've worked in early childhood so uh, it is something that i am well, that's another passion yeah that's a, another thing that i fit in on my on my days when I work and I, I love, again, I love advocating for children. I love the relationships that I have with my families and particularly in a family daycare sense, I only have four children a day in mm-hmm. care. So, you know, I only have six families across the whole week. So getting to know them, nurturing them, giving them information about their child's development. I know, Joshua touched on that again before we started you know, the challenges of parenting have, have really ramped up in the last couple of years with, yeah, you know what, with COVID, but also just giving parents that reassurance that they're doing the right thing and making them feel like we're a team and that we're able to collaborate together for the best of their children. That's sort of probably where a lot of my sense of of, um, of purpose is. I, it's corny again, but I do feel like I, I do make a difference to my families and my little catchphrase is, but I put the family in family daycare, so my children in family daycare know my family. They know my daughters, or our daughters. They know Peter. It's really important for our families to feel supported by the wider community, uh, and, and I'm I'm I'm, real, I'm a real advocate for that.
0: Yeah, I've heard a lot of um, really beautiful stories about family daycare. As you said, the connections that can be formed, and um, friends of ours who've had such a great experience with it. To this yep. day, you know his uh, uh, oldest is ten, so he's you know he hasn't been there for a long time, but she still keeps in touch. And
1: I, I still have contact with. So I did, I've done it in two different times. I've done it just before we had children, and then I picked it up about eight years ago again. Well, I'm we're still in contact with two of the kids who I had 25 years ago. So that and and the families, and I think that's. I mean, that doesn't have to happen with everybody. And I say that to my families, I say, don't be scared off, I'm not a stalker, but if you if you want and if you need that, I, I find that extremely satisfying. And, um, and, look, at the end of the day, it's beneficial for the children, isn't it, and that's what it's all about. Just the same with CMT Aussie kids or early childhood. I think there's a theme happening here, you know, <laughs> we need to be strong advocates for our children because they yeah. can't always advocate for themselves.
0: Now, for anyone who's listening and has a, you know, been very attentive at the start they may have noticed i said that Gillian, you were a finalist in the trans creative leadership award and you know obviously we're talking to Gillian and peter here so you know for anyone thinking i wonder why peter wasn't in that well you know we're just touching on it now with your career professional uh, in, as a professional in childhood early education uh, and as well as your volunteering Gillian with your daughter's school as a uh, part of the committee there is that right
1: Yes, yeah, just PNC and and the usuals, and I, I tend to be and Peter will, will back me on this. Anything that I join, I tend to end up doing something on the committee, um, be it the president or the vice president or the. I won't touch the treasurer. Don't talk to me about money, <laughs> but you know. But I, look, I suppose it's all just part of of supporting a team of people who are there. I've just always been like that. I don't know why. Yeah. It's just how life is. You you need to give back. You need to support. The same with scouting and guiding, you know, it gave us so much as kids and as young young adults and so now we can give back and, you know, we do that through the gang show and and various other things. We need to get more volunteers. We need to get more people to volunteer because it makes our community a better community.
0: Exactly. Uh, couldn't have said it any better than myself. You know, we need these volunteers that are the backbones of communities. So, And uh, you said it earlier yourself, not being paid is what makes volunteering so special because... There's no vested interest. It's people doing it out of a a passion. You're not getting paid. So I think that's what, as you said, that's what makes it so special.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So remind everyone one more time where they can connect with CMT uh, Australia if they're wanting even just to follow along, you know, on the social media, uh, maybe they want to make a donation. Where can they do that?
1: Yep, so social media, we certainly have Facebook and Instagram for both CMT Australia, and that's what they're called, and also CMT Aussie Kids is on Instagram. We do have a Facebook page for our Aussie kids, but it's a closed page for obvious reasons, and it's only open to the children and all their family members who, who are there to support them. So that wouldn't be something that we would let you into, but that's okay. But certainly checking out the CMT Australia website, cmt.org.au or emailing us at cmtaussiekids at gmail.com also when you get onto the website again you can you know have a look and see if you want to consider a donation either to the organization or to Aussie Kids or just email me um, at the cmtaussiekids at gmail.com and that will be able to give you all of those details.
0: Perfect well thank you uh, both Gillian and Peter for your time this morning I really appreciate it and for sharing some of your story um, for raising awareness for cmt obviously i've learned a lot about it in this last hour and uh yeah just wanting to wish you all the best for the 2022 camp and uh, i can't wait to to see all the updates on social media and see how it's going
1: thank you so yeah. much josh. Thanks, josh much appreciate the uh, the support and um love you know i'm on your social media as well so we're certainly when this podcast is uh, is up and about it will be well distributed amongst CMT pages.
0: <laughs> that sounds great. And, you know, if there are some young um, mentors of your camps, of uh, other young people with CMT, you know, let's share their story about nominating them in the Young Achieve Awards, which yeah. is open now. Um, yes. So people can do that at youngachieverewards.com. Lovely. All right, guys. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Josh. Thanks Josh. You.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you liked it or any of our other episodes, it would be great if you can rate and review the Inspirational Australians podcast. It really helps us out. If someone you know needs a little dose of inspiration, why not let them know about this podcast? And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. You can always head to our website at awardsaustralia.com slash podcast for more information and details on each guest. Now, before we go, I'd like to thank Annette, our producer. Here's a fun fact. Annette is my mum, and our other host, Jeff, is my dad. This podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia, a family-owned business that proudly uncovers the stories of people who make a difference for others. We can only do this with the support of our corporate and not-for-profit partners as they make our awards programs possible. So, do you know someone making a difference? If you'd like to recommend someone to be a guest on the podcast, get in touch through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians. Or maybe your business might like to sponsor the podcast or get involved with the awards we run. Head to our website, awardsaustralia.com, for more details. Until next week, stay safe and remember, together we make a difference. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things.
1: So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.